Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. As you find your place there, I'd also like to express my appreciation to Brother Keith and Naomi and all their beautiful family that we've gotten to know better this time. And while Keith might reflect back on our first conference together, that was a while back, wasn't it? I reflect back to even before that when I met Keith as a teenager at Greenwood Hills. And we were just home on furlough during that time. And I threw a few Swahili words around. And you know, he still remembers them to this day. And while he's been speaking about the mindset in Philippians, the Lord's given Keith a a wonderful mind that he's using for the Lord. And we've all been blessed by it. And so all I can say to Keith is, Mungu abarikiwe. (laughs) No. Asante sana muzurika bisa. And uh, that's a secret. It just means the Lord bless you and thank you so much for all the ministry that you've given to us. We appreciate it from all of our hearts. Now, we're going to look in John chapter 21, but just a little word of exhortation this last day of the conference. It's really not the last day, you know. There was the Feast of Tabernacles back in the Gospel of John chapter 7. You know what they did in the Feast of the Tabernacles? They were camping out. Looked a little like housekeeping. (laughs) And for eight days, they would camp out. And on the last day of the feast, the Lord Jesus, he stood up, and it's referred to as that great day. Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And whosoever believes, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of the water of life. We've been drinking from a fire hydrant this week, haven't we? And we've got all of this in us. And when we go home, we want to share it around with others. And so we pray that we not consider this just to be the last day, but the great day when God will will solidify the things that we've been looking at in his word all week long through Keith's ministry from the book of Philippians, through the ministry looking in the life of Simon Peter, and especially in those one-on-one, a few with the others, around the meals or around just fellowship together, and the things that God has shown us by each other. How much we've been blessed just to have this fellowship together in Him. (coughs) Don't leave it at the mountain. (laughs) Take it home with you. And share it around so it'll be the very most blessing from that last great day of the feast. In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, I'd like to read just verses 20 through 22 because we're going to look at Simon Peter's seventh question. And then, with the Lord's help, we're going to look at Simon Peter's last chapter. In John, chapter 21, verse 20, we read, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow 
me. Shall we ask the Lord to bless these words and more to our hearts? Let's pray. Oh, our blessed Father, as we consider this last question that Simon Peter asked and the last chapter from his life, we pray that we too might hear the message of Simon Peter and me and be responsive to your Spirit's work and voice as you take the things that are in your Word and apply them to our lives, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, met with Simon Peter, and the first thing he did with him after he restored him, we read in John chapter 21, then he recommissioned him, not as a fisher of men, but as a shepherd of sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And so he moves from not just evangelism, but now into pastoral work. What a privilege that Peter had from the Lord, having been restored before that, now recommissioned and given a great work to do. You know, sometimes we think when people fail, it's all over. It's not all over. Someone said, if you think it's all over, go into your bathroom, stand in front of the mirror, breathe on it. If a vapor forms... It's not hopeless. If nothing happens, call 911. It's never over. God is too gracious for that, isn't he? And so Peter was recommissioned. Then the Lord Jesus gives him a divine revelation. When you were younger, you went wherever you wanted. When you were old, men will carry you where you would not. In other words, he would die a martyr's death. And the Lord gave him this word of encouragement after the revelation, saying, follow me. Now, if we could put a period there, it would be wonderful. But you know what? There's not a period there other than just the ending of the verse. Because after the Lord told Simon Peter, follow me, Peter got turned around. And he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following And he said, Lord, but what about this man? And that's his question. If you think you're going to get through the Christian life without making mistakes, you're wrong. We're not going to get out of this life alive, none of us, unless the Lord comes before that point. But all of us are going to make terrible mistakes. And usually it happens when we get turned around and get our eyes on someone else other than the Lord. And that's exactly what Simon Peter did. He was always getting turned around, wasn't he? The Lord gave me the privilege of leading a man to Christ when we were just getting our building for the assembly set up and established. And he was an electrician. And he came into my life just because of some work we needed done. And when I talked with him on the phone, he said, well, I understand the work to be done. I need to come over and talk to you. I said, yeah, come over, give me an estimate, and we'll talk about it. He said, no, I need to talk to you. I said, I understand. You come on over and we'll talk. And I went through the gospel with him. I tried to put a little bit of pressure, but not too much, because you want the Lord to bring him to himself so that he would respond truly and genuinely, not just by human pressure, But I did everything I could to push him right into the family. Do you know he walked out of the building that day? 
called me the next morning. He said, I trusted the Lord as my Savior. I said, when? He said, before I pulled out of the parking lot. I said, why didn't you pull back in? (laughs) Well, he was so excited about the word. And in the next two or three weeks, he just couldn't get enough of it. And he came to me that one day after all that of study and learning about the Lord. And he said, Brother Rex, he said, the Lord's turned my life around 360 degrees. I said, now, wait a minute, Mike. I said, you're an electrician, not an engineer. Because if you're 360 degrees, you're back where you started. I said, you mean 180 degrees? He said, really? (laughs) I said, you know, that's exactly what happened with Simon Peter. He got turned around, straightened out, and then he turned around again and got his eyes on someone else. And it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he wanted to know from the Lord, what about this man? And the Lord, from that recommissioning after his restoration to the revelation, now he has to deal Simon Peter a rebuke. And the rebuke, we all need it. You know, Brother Keith and I have been giving out some good things from the Word. But you know what? It's not just at you. (laughs) It's coming back to us threefold. One finger out, three fingers back. It's Simon, Peter, and me. And we need the rebuke. Don't get your eyes on anyone else. Whether you're looking at them in too high of esteem It's not fair to the person to put anyone on a pedestal. It just makes the fall a lot further. Or someone that you would say is not doing what you think you're doing. Keep your eyes off the other. Keep your eyes on the Lord. It's a timely rebuke. Simon Peter had already gone head to head because Satan had desired to have him to sift him as wheat. The Lord prayed for him that his faith would not fail But still, even after all that, a man like Simon Peter and me can get turned around. Listen to what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, he says. Be steadfast in the faith. Now, I didn't get to see anything that was going on during the messages. But I understand there was one day there was a bear behind us. And another day there was a coyote behind us. I wish I'd have got to see them. I want to tell you, I can't see this either. But there's a lion that's been circling us this whole time. The devil hasn't missed any of these meetings. The searchings of heart that have been taking place in your life, he's well aware of it. And when you go down from the mountain, he'll meet you there. And he's going to look for a way to trip you up. Take a word of warning from someone who has fallen, gotten turned around, gotten twisted up, and says, watch out, beware. Simon Peter's last question, Lord, what about this man? Hear the rebuke from the Lord Jesus. What is that to you? You follow me. Let's turn now to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because 2 Peter chapter 3 is Simon Peter's last chapter. Oh, I want to share something with you as you find your place there. Go all the way back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me tell you what I came across at at a memorial service I was part of. From an old missionary who served for many years on the field, they 
they looked in his, in his Bible, and his nephew read a quote from his Bible in the back of it. You know, it's not just what the Scripture says, but those notes you write in the back of your Bible could be used one day. And then this old missionary's Bible who went to be with the Lord at his memorial service, he wrote something that just fits perfectly for Simon Peter's life and for me and you. Here's what it said. It was entitled, Wow, What a Ride. Are you ready for this in life? He said, life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaim, wow, what a ride. (laughs) That's the way our life should be and the way our life should come into glory. Give it all to him. You'll never regret it. And you know, sometimes we get to thinking, I've made such a mess of things. You're not at the last chapter yet. If you can relate to Simon Peter and all of his blunders, you're in good company because we all relate to him. But there was a last chapter yet. Sometimes when I have especially parents concerned about their children or grandchildren, I like to tell them, you know, it's not the last chapter yet. God's still doing a work. He's promised. He has begun it. He's going to complete it. And here in 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to read all 18 verses, and then we're going to look at four things that Peter gives to us in the last chapter. It tells us in verse 1, 2 Peter 3, 1, Beloved, that's going to be your key word. Mark it every time you see it. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which now exist, are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him without spot, in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. Verse 17 and 18 conclude the reading, and it says, You therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. And would you finish the reading with me? Amen. Amen. Now, in this last chapter from the life of Simon Peter, and that would be the title of this last portion, you have four times he calls the people of God beloved. We heard a little word about that, didn't we? There's not a better term that you could use that's more endearing to our hearts than to hear God calling to us through His Word by His servant, beloved. That means we are loved to the very utmost by the Lord. The first, beloved, verses 1 through 7, is beloved, be reminded. He gives us a reminder so that we don't forget. Someone asked a little girl, do you know what a memory is? And she said, sure, that's what old people use to forget things. (laughs) That's what we're always doing. You know, we forget the things we ought to remember, we remember the things we ought to forget. Beloved, be reminded. Secondly, Verses 8 and 9, Beloved, be informed. He wants us to know something and to know it on the assurity of the Word of God. And then verses 10, or verses uh, really 10 through 16, Beloved, be holy. Knowing these things, what manner of persons ought we to be? We should live holy lives set apart for God. And then lastly, verses 17 and 18, Beloved, be growing. There's no such thing as treading water in the Christian life. We're either going forward or we're backing up. We need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at the first one. Beloved, be reminded. Do you know that reminder is given to us by Simon Peter himself personally? Look what he says in verse 1. I now write to you this Second epistle, that means he wrote a first epistle. You know, reminders, well, if you don't mind a little play on words, first you've got mind in verse 1, then you've got reminder in verse 1, then you've got a mind full in verse 2. Now, we've been hearing about the mindset from Philippians, and if you've got the mind of Christ, believe me, you've got a mind that's full of Him. <laughs> Fill up your minds with these things. So Paul, Peter says, I am stirring you up by way of reminder. He gives us that reminder personally. 
take a moment, hold your place, turn one page back to 2 Peter chapter 1. It may be two pages depending on how your translation is written. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, look what he does in this reminder to us in verses 12 through 15. First of all, he says, Therefore I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Now that's a reminder from the past because you have already heard these things. I just want to remind you of what you know already known. He gives that personal reminder. I was talking to one brother about the ministry of reminding, because we're not looking for something new, are we? <laughs> if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. Uh, we want to hear the old, old truth in the freshness as if it's the first time. And so we were saying, don't be afraid of the ministry of reminding. That's the kind of ministry Simon Peter had. I want to tell it to you. I want to tell it to you again and again. I won't be negligent to remind you. And after we talked a little bit, he told me, he said, he said, you know, you've reminded me of things I never, ever knew. <laughs> so maybe it's going to be that way for you. Simon Peter had that kind of ministry. I want to remind you of what you already know. Verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. Boy, now, is that applicable and appropriate for, for Yosemite Bible Conference? As long as I'm in this tent, he wasn't camping out. He meant as long as I'm in this body. To stir you up by reminding you, that's present tense right now, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. Some of you are leaving today. <laughs> it's going to come before we know it. Shortest week in the year, I heard. Seems like all of a sudden we're here. Do you know that's the way life will be? Paul said, one day I'm going to pluck this tent up. Peter says, shortly, I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. That's a reminder present. Look in verse 15. Moreover, I will be careful, that's future, to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. That's a reminder in the future from Simon Peter's day. How's he going to do a future reminder? He's going to write it down. And you and I are reading it now. After all these years, centuries, millennia, and here we are reading this reminder. That's a personal reminder, past, present, and future. But it's not only a personal reminder. It's a prophetical reminder, as he says in verse 2, which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now we're back in 2 Peter 3. The holy prophets said it, like Enoch, seventh generation from Adam. Behold, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all this ungodly world. Beloved, be reminded. Be reminded of what? The Lord is coming, and he's coming again. And here he says the holy prophet said it. And even in the present day, together with all the apostles, who not only were willing to proclaim that Jesus had come, laid down his life for the sins of the world, but were willing to lay down their lives for the promise that he was coming again to judge this world in righteousness by this one, Jesus Christ himself. And then he gives some very practical reminders. Personal, prophetical, present day, and practical. And here's his practical reminder that scoffers will come in the last days saying, 
Where's the promise of His coming? Do you know there is such an increase of those who scoff at the very mention, not only of His first coming, but especially of His second coming? It's just a sign fulfilling what Peter warns us about. And it's a practical word. Now, how do you know a scoffer? Well, you can recognize a scoffer, first of all, by the way they walk, walking according to their own lust. Then you can recognize a scoffer by their will. For this, they are willingly ignorant of it. Don't confuse me with the facts. Do you believe the Bible? No. Have you ever read it? No, of course not. They're willfully ignorant. But thirdly, you recognize a scoffer by their words, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Do you know the first question asked in our Bible was asked by the devil himself? Indeed, hath God said, very similar to the scoffer, isn't it? He wasn't gathering information. (laughs) He was just casting doubt on the word of God. Indeed, hath God said, where's the promise of his coming? If somebody asked you today or this week, Where's the promise of his coming? Could you take them to it in the word of God? I sure hope so. Take them to John 14. Take them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Take them to 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus is coming again. Where's the promise of his coming? When we were in Zaire, Africa, in a Bible school work, someone came and it was a Hody at the door. They don't knock on the door. They just say, Hody. Some of those little mud huts don't have doors. We heard a hootie at the door, and it was a young Bible school student from down in the Savannah lands came up into the jungle. And he said, Bona Rex, I've come with a question. I walked three days to get here. I just want to know one thing. Is the Lord Jesus coming or not? I said, of course he is. And we read these verses I just mentioned. I said, why do you ask? He said, well, I was in the Bible school. And we were studying in 1 Thessalonians, and I wrote in my notes, this is the rapture of the church. And he said, my professor said, as he walked by my desk, you mark that out. You can't prove that. I said, what'd you do? He said, I looked up at him and I told him, I've read about you before. (laughs) And he said, where have you read about me? He said that scoffers will come in the last days. And he quoted from 2 Peter chapter 3. Are you ready for this? Peter says they're coming. They're already here. And you can recognize them. And so if scoffers are coming in the last days, you can recognize them and you know you're prepared of how to deal and stand against the scoffers. Do you know what we are to stand with? Not our clever arguments, but go right to the Word of God. Look what we read in verse 5. It all has to do with the Scriptures, you see. They willfully forget that by the Word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. That's creation. In verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. That's the flood of Noah's day. That's exactly where the enemy attacks. Creation they turned into devolution, evolution. You got it, don't you? The flood? How ridiculous. I bet it was those evangelical believers that put fossils up on the top of the mountains of sea creatures. The facts are all around us, and yet the intellectuals of our day 
foolishly and willingly ignore all the facts against creation, against the flood. Hold on to it. Those are foundational. If the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? But here's the reason that they want to deny it all. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which now exist, are kept in store by the same word that created everything, the same word that brought the flood in Noah's day to destroy the, the world, except for eight souls, the same word that is holding this world in reservation, reserved for fire until the day of judgment perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, be reminded of that. He's coming, and He's coming to judge this world in righteousness. Secondly, verses 8 and 9, Beloved, be informed. Oh, this is wonderful to know, because after all this judgment, He wants us to know that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness. Be informed that God's clock operates according to God's compassion because He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's no God like Him, is there? Their rock is not like our rock. He is steadfastly working to make it available to whosoever will that they may come. God's not willing that any perish. God wills that all come to salvation. When we're born again, we're born again by the will of God. This is what He wants for everyone. And so He says, Beloved, you be informed about that. Thirdly, beloved, be reminded, be informed, be holy. All this prophetic talk, what good is it? It should have the profound effect on our lives that we are going to a place prepared for us, but it's a prepared place for a prepared people. He's preparing us for the place that He's gone to prepare us for. And it's one of holiness and godliness that we would be holy in every area of our conduct. It means to be set apart for God, and set apart from this world. This holiness, I want you to notice how we're motivated to it. In verse 10, he says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, that's the rapture, isn't it? Amen. It certainly is. Not only that, after the rapture, when he comes as a thief in the night, the heavens will pass away. Timetable, there's some distance between those two events but it surely is going to come. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Look down in verse 12 halfway through because it says the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Talk about global warming. You ain't seen nothing yet. We had a family moving down into our area and they were looking for a house. And I said, try to get close to the chapel. So you're able to be at all the meetings. So I got him in the car and we started driving and right near our assembly where we meet, there's some big homes. And he told me right off first block, he said, he said, Brother Rex, he said, these are some big houses. I said, yeah, that's true, Brother George. I said, but one day they're all going to burn. We crossed the intersection and the houses doubled. He was quiet. Finally, he said, 
Yeah, but even though they're going to burn, these houses are going to burn a whole lot longer than what I can afford. (laughs) It's all going to go away. That means that we can't put our roots down and attach our heart to something that's going to burn. It's not worth it. He says, Beloved, be holy. Don't live for this world and all of its goods. You know, we've been given richly all things to enjoy, and don't we enjoy them? But possess your possessions. Don't let your possessions possess you. It's mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't have it both ways. Hold everything we have with open hands. It may be gone tomorrow. Use it up for the glory of God. Beloved, be holy. Because, you know, all these things that we see around us, they're all going to vanish. We are living, as it tells us in verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And then he tells us in verse 13, Nevertheless, remember that word we talked about the other day? Nevertheless means all the more. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We've got to remember that we're not living for this world, we're living for that world. We're otherworldly minded. If righteousness dwells there, how should we live now? Preparing for what it's going to be like in holiness, in godliness, in righteousness, beloved, be holy. And then lastly, in verses 17 and 18, he says, Beloved, be warned. This last chapter of Simon Peter's life comes with a very important warning at the end. And this is the warning. First of all, he tells us to be on our guard. Verse 17, You, therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware. What are we warned about? Beware lest you also fall. Now, he could just say, beware lest you fall. But he keeps himself in the picture. Beware lest ye also, like me, fall from your own steadfastness. How could it happen? First of all, acknowledge it could happen to me. It could happen to you. If it happened to Simon Peter, it could happen to anybody. How would it happen? Just being led away with the error of the wicked. Get off one fraction of a degree today, and within weeks, you're way off the track. If you're flying a plane, you're over somebody else's airspace, you can be shot down. It happens in our world. Beware, he says, be on your guard. Secondly, this warning in verse 18 is be growing. The only way we can keep from falling is to be making progress for Him. Don't settle, whatever you do, for nominal Christianity. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. And so much the more. When? As you see the day approaching. I tell you what, we're seeing the day approaching, aren't we? Rob Lindstedt at a conference I was at, 
he asked the question, he said, what does it mean when you see Christmas lights on display? He gave us the answer. Thanksgiving is very near. (laughs) The signs of the end we may not see directly, but great events cast their shadows. We're seeing the Christmas lights already on display. What does it mean? Well, the rapture is that much closer. It could be at any moment. Wouldn't it be great to go to glory from here? We already got 5,000 feet on the way up. Instead of going down before you go up, he says, Beloved, be growing. How do we grow? Well, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, that's perfect balance, isn't it? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Grow in grace first. That gives us a bigger heart. Grow in knowledge also. That fills our mind. And in that perfect balance, grace first and then knowledge, we're able to handle the knowledge he gives us. Knowledge without grace, it's an ogre. It just makes us Pharisees to know but not to do. Grace enables the doing of it. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lastly, in this warning, be on our guard. Be busy about our growth and diligence. But lastly, our goal and it's all the glory of God. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Finish it with me, please. Amen. Amen. Now, I just pulled you in on that last statement, amen. Because you understand that there's a little difference in what's happening today in our religious circle. I came home from Africa getting ready for the meeting. I remembered some of the TV preachers, and so I turned it on early Sunday morning. And something had changed, and me, like Rip Van Winkle, out from being away for a few years, coming back into this society, I realized somebody had changed something while I was gone. Charles Stanley preaching, good preacher. Don't settle for Charles Stanley on TV. You know, when they changed from tubes and transistors, all the warmth of television left, and now it's all chips, and you don't get any warmth out of TV ministry. You need the real ministry with each other and fellowship. He said something wonderful, and instead of hearing a response of amens, I heard a round of applause. Have you noticed that? Now, what is applause? Well, it has its place. Somebody sings nicely, we applaud. When somebody does something, we compliment. That's what applause is. It's a compliment. I like the way she said that. I like the way he sang that. And so we applaud. Peter doesn't finish with an applause. He finishes with an amen. What's the difference? If applause is a compliment, an amen is a commitment. It means, Lord, let it be so. Let it be so in my life. Simon Peter in me. The book of Philippians. It finished also with that same word, didn't it? Amen. Amen. Lord, let it be so. Let the things we've heard this week from the Word of God, the things we've shared with each other, let them become a reality in our lives. And then when you get to the last chapter of your life, you'll be able to sound the warning. Beloved, be reminded. Beloved, be informed. Beloved, 
Be holy and beloved, be warned. Be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Shall we close in a word of prayer? Father, how thankful we are for the privilege we've had of being here. We ask, Lord, that you will take the word that has been given out throughout this week, and as you've promised, don't let it return unto you void, but help it and allow it and cause it to accomplish the very purpose for which you've sent it. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.